we're back to talk Star Wars Rebels Season 3, a season filled with weird Force stuff, a strengthening rebellion, and some excellent character development. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this episode where we are talking all about Star Wars Rebels Season 3. We are continuing our Rebels rewatch. Just to get it out of the way, we are recording this during the WGA SAG-AFTRA strike. Uh, So we don't know when this is going to come out. Uh, We're recording it right here at the tail end of August. So yeah, just kind of a heads up about that. I think, you know, as we're kind of banking these episodes, we also want to be clear about what we have and haven't seen when it comes to the show Ahsoka, as that is currently airing. And that will kind of impact our discussions in some of these uh, episodes that we're recording, especially with something like Rebels. So not only are we recording this during the strike, but we have seen episodes one and two of Ahsoka at the time of recording this episode about Rebels season three. So just kind of want to get that piece of housekeeping out of the way right at the top of the show. Yeah. And also to put it into context about where we're at sort of mentally and like what we're thinking about in Star Wars. What we're thinking about right now is we've seen there's two episodes of Ahsoka. We aren't talking about any of this publicly because we're on a hiatus and sort of Sky Talker strike in solidarity. And yeah, eventually this will come out and I can't wait for when you are listening to this. It's going to be a great day. But um, that's that's where we're at right now. And I think we should jump into talking about Star Wars Rebels. And I'm really enjoying this rewatch and I can't wait to talk about it. So in part one, we are going to be contextualizing season three. And in part two, we're going to talk about the themes of season three. And in part three, we're going to go through some highlights and lowlights and some odds and ends. So without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first. I talk first. All right. Welcome to part one, where we're contextualizing season three. Uh, This is something we started on our first episode of the Rebels Rewatch and enjoyed a lot and got good feedback on. So we're kind of keeping it through all of our Rebels Rewatch. And it's just kind of going back to the time that this season was airing and remembering what was going on in the fandom space and in Star Wars and kind of remembering what our headspace was when this season was airing. And I think that's been really fun, honestly, to kind of go back. And season three is a bit of an interesting one. It aired from September 28th, 2016 through March 25th, 2017. And so, of course, the big thing that happens in the Star Wars world, it's kind of two big things, honestly. We have Rogue One comes out. So a lot of the marketing, a lot of publishing is all in support of Rogue One coming out. And then also, unfortunately, the other big thing that happens is Carrie Fisher passes away too. And these happen, you know, if you remember, right around the same time in December. Uh, So I think those were kind of the first or the biggest things that really happened in this time period. You're th- you're missing like a whole third big thing that happened in this time period. What is the third big thing? We started our podcast. Oh yeah, that other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm joking. This obviously didn't like earth shatter Star Wars fandom <laughs> in the way that those two other events did. Oh my god! But no, uh, that's where we were. That's true. In this time period, and I think that this was like a very high point of our fandom. 
Rogue One. And then we were very inspired after Carrie Fisher died. We've talked about this extensively on our podcast in a lot of episodes entitled Essays on Carrie and how that entire movement that basically happened after that uh, was pretty inspiring for us to start our podcast. But we were also really inspired by the sort of synergy that was happening with Rebels um, at this time with Rogue One, with Saw Guerrera being introduced, with Mon Mothma, with all of these things that were happening at the same time with Rebels and Rogue One. And then also Chopper (laughs) on Chopper Cam, on Rebels Recon, the YouTube series going to England. I mean, there's a lot of fun things that were happening in Star Wars fandom at this time. I think you have listed here also that the Ahsoka novel was published. This was a big time in fandom too. I think a lot of people were talking about that. Catalyst was published, which is a book that leads literally directly into Rogue One, which is interesting in context now thinking about like Andor and how Andor will eventually lead directly into Rogue One. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) I feel like this was also a really positive time in Star Wars fandom because everyone was really excited for the next chapter after The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi was honestly right around the corner to the point where Ryan Johnson was probably working on the cut of this at Skywalker when this was also airing and being cut. So there's a lot of synergy that was happening there with that. And he is At this point when this is airing, Ryan is pretty close to having The Last Jedi fully finished. It's just a reminder that Ryan finished The Last Jedi really early. And he's the only (laughs) director I can think of who made Star Wars, who put it in at the, like, who finished it at the right time. So, um, or like really, really early. So anyway, all of this is happening right now when Star Wars Rebels season three was airing. And it was a really special time in fandom. Yeah, it it definitely was. And also what happens right, pretty much right after, I think two weeks after season three ends in March 2017 is we have Star Wars Celebration Orlando in April 2017, right at the beginning of April down in Orlando. Uh, They have Rebel season four is announced as the final season. There's the huge reveal of Ahsoka Lives question mark, Ahsoka Lives exclamation point. Uh, Rook is revealed to be in season four, which was a really big thing, you know, going along with Thrawn and the Timothy Zahn novels for those fans. Um, We also got the, you know, speaking of bigger things, we got The Last Jedi trailer. That was huge. That's probably one of my big core memories from 2017. I'm not going to get into the details of Charlotte and I's 2017 celebration experience. (laughs) It's still fun. It's it's still very fun. That was fun. I mean, you you were there for the, that Rebels, um, Ahsoka Lives, Ahsoka Lives. I was. Like, Dave's whole t-shirt reveal thing you were in the room for that and that's so crazy I don't know that if you haven't watched that panel it's a good one yeah I was remember trying to explain it to you after the panel because we had we had this was the like like Charlotte mentioned this is the first year for Sky Talkers uh we started Sky Talkers in January 2017 and we had a I don't even know if it was called a press ticket or like a media ticket it was to, yeah, uh, a media badge it was a media badge but then you got allocated a number of seats like in certain panels and stuff not all of them but th- we did have like a press we got to sit in the press area for rebels this panel the rebel season four we only had one seat though so i went and i remember trying to explain to you afterwards the ahsoka lives question mark ahsoka lives exclamation point <laughs> <laughs> and i distinctly remember from that panel to 
other people realizing because what happened is the whole panel dave filoni is wearing a shirt that says ahsoka lives question mark and everyone is like why would you do this to us that's been you know that was the hashtag that was going around really since the end of season two was ahsoka lives and he added the question mark on his shirt and then they showed a trailer for season four with the Rook reveal, it was a big deal. And when the lights come back on afterwards, Dave has altered his shirt with duct tape to say Ahsoka lives exclamation point. And there was like a ripple effect through the crowd of realizing that realization has been yeah. changed. Yeah. It was so, it was so fun. <laughs> I, yeah, I loved it so much. And that, that panel is up on YouTube. So you should absolutely watch it if you haven't, if not just for that moment of the shirt change. Yeah. Caitlin and I would go on the next celebration. I think, I think it was the next celebration mm -hmm. to dress up as Dave Filoni and each of us, one of us was an exclamation point. One of us was a question mark. You're listening to this. I know you know about this. It's like we're, <laughs> I, feel, I feel like we're talking to people who definitely remember that and definitely know. But if you don't, that that's the lore. That's the that's history. The lore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that just just to bring it back, that's really the reveal of season four. Um, I think just to bring it back to season three, the reveal early on about this particular season, season three, was that Thrawn was going to be a major villain in this season. And I think throughout it, they really built up Thrawn as like the the newer version of Thrawn than that what you know from the EU and how he fit into the Rebels crew. Um, or the rebel story. Yeah. And I think for us too, the Thrawn inclusion was really surprising because back then and still today, we have not read Heir to the Empire. And we tried. We, We've we tried. have tried. Uh, <laughs> it's just confusing. I think it's hard when you know that it's not, it's just, I don't know. I need to do it. <laughs> we both do. We both do. I don't need to make excuses. Yeah. Everyone we just haven't it. read it yet, guys. It's like our video game whole uh blindness blind yeah blind spot yeah <laughs> um but i think for us the thrawn introduction was really interesting because we knew who he was we had he was one he you know he's obviously one of the most popular characters of the eu we had a working knowledge of who he was but really didn't know a lot about him and i remember thinking wondering how this was going to go of him being included in season three and then absolutely thinking he was the chilling villain he was meant to be. I still think his characterization is incredible. Kevin Kiner's music for Thrawn continues to be such a highlight with the organ and everything. And I know we're going to hear that at some point in the Ahsoka series. And so ready I'm for so it. ready for it, especially because we were just kind of blown away with Kevin Kiner's score in the first two episodes of mm -hmm. Ahsoka. So the idea of bringing in this Thrawn motif, the Thrawn theme that he created for Rebels, it's going to be great. I'm I'm very much looking yeah. forward to it. Yeah, I just want to say one thing about that particular theme because it, I have to be honest, like that Kevin Kiner's theme really sold the haunting nature of mm -hmm. Thrawn throughout this entire season. Totally. And like you mentioned, the organ um, being played as his theme. It always, a lot of people say this, this is not like a new thought, but it is like reminiscent of the theme of the Kraken in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, Hans Zimmer's theme for that, that really does kind of dispel the fact that he, like the Kraken is close and can take you at 
any mm. opportunity. I think that that parallel with the Hans Zimmer score from Pirates of the Caribbean is interesting just given the fact that Thrawn's end in Star Wars Rebels as a whole in season four ends with him being surrounded by like tentacles in with the Purgle, um, which is extremely reminiscent of the Kraken mm -hmm. monster in Pirates of the Caribbean. So I just want to like draw that close that maybe or draw that parallel in the fact that maybe that was intentional, some, some sort of foreshadowing, but it also very well could not have been. And it just could have been a choice that made sense for the haunting character that Thrawn is, but I thought it was quite cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good. And I think it's always fun to bring in Pirates of the Caribbean. Always. <laughs> so that's kind of where we all were as a fandom and personally for Charlotte and I of starting Skydockers <laughs> during the airing of season three. And I got to say, rewatching season three, it's been a while since I've really dived into this season. I think if you listen to our first episode of season one, you heard me say that I really kind of remember season one and season four the best. And that continues to be true. I feel like there was a lot about season three that I had kind of forgotten over the years. And this is the first time that I've really dived into it now that we have and or and the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. And, you know, Ahsoka is currently airing too right now. But I think that Andor and the Obi-Wan Kenobi show provided some really interesting foils or, or just facets to some of these episodes now that we have them specifically um, was the title Secret Cargo, the episode with Mon Mothma, and then of course Twin Sons. There are all these new kind of layers added on to these episodes that is just it's so fascinating to watch and something that we talk a ton about as the nature of Star Wars. Uh, you know, when new stories are added on, new character journeys are added on to older characters. It's just such a thrill as a Star Wars fan to have it. And Charlotte and I were talking about some of these tidbits while we were rewatching season three of Rebels. So I'm sure we'll be talking about them as we go further into this discussion. But I did want to come back to my favorite reviewer, Kevin Johnson of the AV Club. We've kind of been highlighting him throughout our Rebels rewatch series, and that's going to continue today. <laughs> I think you should give the listeners who are maybe are just listening to this episode and not the others, a little, a little context, like backstory. Yeah. Yeah. A little context about like what you like about his reviews, what you don't like and things like that. <laughs> yeah. So Kevin Johnson, he reviewed all of Star Wars Rebels for the AV Club while it was airing. And, um, I loved to read TV reviews on the AV Club for a bunch of different TV shows that I watched. I didn't read Kevin Johnson's though when Rebels was airing. So when we were researching for the first episode of our Rebels rewatch and I was kind of seeing what people what people thought of Rebels when it first aired, I came across his reviews and have kind of been following them ever since for each season. So for example, I've only read his reviews for season one through season three. I haven't read any of his reviews yet for season four because we haven't rewatched it yet. But they're just so I think he has a good perspective on this show. I think he's pretty balanced in most of his reviews. Some of his stuff I don't agree with. Some of it I think is really well written. But I think they're just so interesting and a great peek into what people were thinking and talking about while these seasons were airing. And I like to pull some of the comments as well on his posts because his reviews were quite popular. And it's great to see what people were theorizing about way back when way back when, you know, 2017, <laughs> not that long ago. It's just, it's fun to take a peek back into fandom at this time. I will say yeah. Kevin Johnson's fatal flaw though, is that he hates 
chopper. <laughs> I can't with this. I'll never get over it. <laughs> he hates chopper. In the first two seasons, his reviews were always like, I don't know what the heck chopper is doing. In season one, he was convinced that chopper was actually an Imperial spy and was going to betray the ghost crew at some point. Uh, it's just, I mean, <laughs> it's not, not a possibility. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I will say though, I feel like I read all of his reviews for this season and there wasn't as much chopper vitriol in his reviews this season. So I think he's just like accepted it. <laughs> I will say he doesn't yeah. talk a ton about chopper, but he's not openly antagonistic towards him the way he was for seasons one and two. <laughs> what about Double Agent Droid? Okay, yeah. So Double Agent Droid was kind of a funny one because Kevin's review didn't focus on Chopper himself. <laughs> um, rather, he he thought it was funny. He, I will say, okay, let me back up. I think that Kevin enjoyed this season, but he gave a lot of the episodes overwhelmingly a B or a B plus. There were very few A's given in this season. I think he had a good time with it, but I think he, it was generally for him like a B season. So in the... I like don't disagree with that if I'm being completely honest. I don't either, truly. But in this episode or in that episode of Double Agent Droid, he did think it was quite funny, actually, AP5 and Chopper arguing and doing the anything you can do, I can do better song. He thought that was funny. But the thing he focused on in that episode was that Hera should have actually been a better, a bigger part of it and that he was kind of taken aback by Hera's uh, anger at the end of it when she like electrocutes that entire Imperial base through Chopper somehow because he doesn't buy the relationship between Chopper and Hera is at the same level as R2-D2 and Anakin. And so for him, he was like, this came out of nowhere and suddenly she's, you know, straight up murdering, <laughs> blowing up an entire Imperial <laughs> ship through her droid. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I think he thought that they could have built that a little more in the episode with more of a focus on Hera. So again, not actually with Chopper, not really focusing on Chopper, <laughs> mm -hmm. which, you know, that's part of the course for him, I think, in this season. Mm -hmm. But I want to, I pulled a lot of his quotes, actually, and I hope that's okay if I kind of read some stuff to you guys for a little bit, because I just think this season, they talk about this in Rebels Recon, too, about how this is really like the one of the first big steps of like full integration between animation and live action, which is of course crazy to think about in the era of the Ahsoka series right now, given how that is such a, a rebel sequel. But you think about it with Mon Mothma, with Saw Gerrera, these were huge things with Chopper being in Rogue One. <laughs> these were huge things when they happened. And it was like, whoa, like all of this is coming together in such a huge way. And to see... And that it's possible. Exa yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and even having uh, like a New Hope era, Ben Kenobi in this series, bringing Maul back, it was just things were working on a lot of levels. And this too was kind of part of Charlotte and I being like, oh my God, we got we to gotta figure out how to talk about it. jump on this. We got to jump on this. So I think these, these reviews, which was interesting because I... Because he had kind of such kind of B rating reviews for a lot of these episodes, I didn't think I was going to pull as many quotes from him and from his reviews. But as I was kind of sitting with it, I was like, no, this is like super interesting to me how people are talking about this and about this show in general. So I hope that's okay to kind of read some of his comments and some comments from commenters and stuff like that. I hope that's okay. 
It's very much okay. Go okay, for it. Great. <laughs> so this one is actually about Callus being revealed as Fulcrum, which I think is also one of the standouts of this season. Who can forget Hot Callus? The hair lock that broke the internet took us by yep. storm. It was great. I, I liked his mm-hmm. little review of it in one of the, I forget which episode it is, but one of the early ones when we find out that Callus is Fulcrum. So Kevin writes, I love how Callus is Fulcrum reveal is met by the ghost crew at large. Ezra and Kanan barely believe it, but they use it to their advantage while Ezra extracts some not exactly unearned revenge on Callus with a serious force push. Harris, Sabine, and Zeb can't believe it either. Zeb, who is, has the clearest understanding of Callus's change of heart, awkwardly has to think of them as friends. It's definitely amusing, but also a great example of the kind of devil's bargain the rebels will have to make to grab any leg up in their cause. Um, he says that he wishes there was more, or he was excited to seeing more of Callus's complexity develop throughout the season. And I think that's something that we'll probably talk about in part three that we could have seen even more of. For one of the episodes with Maul, and I think it was it was Holocrons of Fader Visions and Voices. I can't remember. There was this commenter commenter who wrote about Rebels in such a way that I find so amusing and quaint and I think really captures the energy of Rebels. And I just want to read her review to you because I thought it was so good because people were having – it was an episode that people didn't really like and they were having kind of a lot of back and forth about the flaws of Rebels, how it looked, whether or not Maul should be involved in the show. There was kind of that back and forth about it. Yeah. Yeah, So it's Holocrons of Fate, which is what, episode three, I think, of the season. And so I thought that it was – I don't know. Her comment just really stuck out to me and I found myself chuckling at it, you know, five years later, six years later, and I wanted to read it all for you. Uh, she was, she's young, the person who commented on this. She said, recently I've been forced to consider that maybe I might be getting more out of this show than anyone else. I mean, it's a kid show and I'm practically still a kid, not on my teens, still working my way up to actual grown up media. There is some stuff that different people are going to like differently for different reasons. And if this cheesy Disney-fied glory works for me, that's a-okay. This show is so over the top. It's delightful. Darth Maul is somehow still alive and writing Kenobi and Mandalorian on the walls in blood because he's learned that it's best to go 100%. Ezra is the brattiest brat to ever brat. Sabine does not give a damn, which is someone with a younger sibling who thinks that they're somehow in charge of me. I sympathize with. Poor girl didn't come here for Ezra's angst train or Maul's ridiculous survivability. Hera is still an underrated gem. It's good fun, but in a ridiculous way. And this was kind of my favorite part of her review where she said, characters aren't always likable or even competent, but they remain believable for their ages and backgrounds. There's a good naturedness to the character flaws and a genuine affection for the characters that I really think shines through. And I think that's such a good way to sum up Rebels, honestly. She goes on to write, I still can't take Maul's polo shirt and slacks combo seriously. He looks like a golf player rated a hot topic and he's such an unabashed villain about everything. It's jarring, but he makes it work. But he makes it work. Kanan's face is so pretty and his mentally choices are so questionable. It's not his fault. He's traumatized and working <laughs> under less than ideal circumstances, but still at least put some fail safes in place. Be ready to outgambit Maul instead of bluffing your way through. That ship is both screaming villainy at the top of its lung and it goes with Maul's color scheme. 10 for 10 great work you melodramatic 50 something (laughs) oh my god (laughs) her her review is actually so long and I trimmed it quite a bit but I just I loved that review because I really thought it had the essence of what I think makes Rebels such a great show where she writes about the good naturedness of the character flaws and genuine affection I just I thought it was such a charming little review yeah I totally agree I really like the balance that this person 
draws between the seriousness of it, but then also understanding that, no, the show is, it's aimed at younger audiences, but you can still get a lot out of it, right? And the, yeah, I like the good naturedness of the character flaws that you mentioned and the genuine affection. I am struck so much when I watch Rebels about the actual genuine affection that I get from it Mm -hmm. every time. I swear the show finds brand new ways to go about the found family theme ever like it's different every single episode I think and it doesn't feel trite to me in a lot of ways that I think that trope usually feels trite to me and I am so struck by how I find each of the characters relationships with each other so moving I think that they did such a great job especially by season three you realize like how far they've come what issues they have to deal with um what they're each dealing with personally. Like you learn all these new things through them and through their stories. Um, I think season three is less of a season that highlights each individual characters in the same way that season two was. We talked about that on our episode, but it does happen. And I think that when you really dig deep in this season and that works on some episodes and some not, I think that for me, the season felt like really long and has some amazing episodes dotted between dotted throughout the season but like in between some of those it felt like a little bit of a like we're we're where are we going with this type of vibe and then by the end of the finale when the rebels lose which i think is ultimately a really good choice it does it feels like a darker middle chapter of a season and like i had to i have to accept that and i think it's okay to accept it but it doesn't mean that this is just not my favorite season. Mm-hmm. I think that there's some of my favorite episodes, Twin Suns and Trials of the Dark Saber being that. But I think that overall, as like a season as a whole, I think season one is still like the strongest season to me. Yeah, I agree. I do think that season one is the strongest season so far. But season three definitely does have some gems, especially as it relates, you know, like I mentioned before, of it really starting to integrate mesh with live action in such a huge way that it's it's really important in that sense I think honestly even thinking you know we've been watching Rebels Recon as well throughout this rewatch and to talk about Chopper Cam we've referenced before that Chopper goes to Britain and it's like this huge secret and he comes back and he's like a total jackass to everyone (laughs) in the Rebels Recon world (laughs) because he's high and mighty off of being in Rogue One he literally wears a monocle for half of Rebels Recon and carries a British flag. (laughs) And (laughs) when we finally learn that he was in in Rogue One and that's why he's acting so high and mighty, we then get a clip of him and him on set talking to Dave Filoni. And Dave is like, don't worry. Because, okay, the other piece of this is that Chopper has such beef with R2-D2. He's so jealous of R2-D2. It's insane. He, like, destroys R2-D2 merch whenever he gets the chance. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when he's on again how could you not love <laughs> no. the the lore of this is just so great but it's so there's, when he's on set in chopper cam of rogue one dave is there too and he has this like come to jesus with chopper where he's like don't worry chopper like yeah, of course R2-D2's the star. It's his, He's R2-D2, but it's okay. You're Chopper. Like, R2's been around a lot longer. And one day your time is going to come too, buddy. Like, don't even worry. And I'm like, oh, my God. His time, his time is His now. time is here. Time it's is now. now. Time is now. <laughs> he's got his own character poster in live action. <laughs> it's so crazy. It, like, makes me emotional. Like, what? <laughs> also, like the fact that droid. <laughs> Dave was talking – 
to Chopper and the fact that yeah Dave is Chopper that is revealed at the end of season four I just think that is so great and it's just really funny this like come to Jesus moment is he's talking to himself (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's really funny so I kind of don't know where my train of thought was going but I want to move into some of Kevin's comments on trials of the dark saber since this definitely was one of the highlights I will say Kevin had a lot to say in his reviews about Ezra's development uh, or kind of lack of development in season three he one of his critiques I think overall of the season is that there isn't a ton of character development but that Sabine gets a lot of really good character development and Mm -hmm. her character development really stands out in this season and that Trials of the Dark Saber is, of course, the kind of shining example of it. Mm-hmm. I totally agree, by the way, with that. Yeah. And I think that the other character who gets like second to the development of Sabine is Kanan. And we'll talk about that later. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I liked what he had to say about some of the about like basically the fight and kind of the whole setup of Trials of the Dark Saber and how they talked about this in Rebels Recon too about how it's a unique episode and that there's no kind of mission in this episode. It's solely about training. And Kevin writes that exploring Sabine's development here in Trials of the Dark Saber manages to rip open a lot of lingering tensions that have been bubbling among the ghost crew for a while now except Zeb. (laughs) Uh, It all comes down to Kanan's inability or lack of desire, perhaps, to get Sabine to open up and accept the full truth of her past. But all of that stems from one central truth. Sabine does not want this. This is a crucial point. At the very beginning, she gave away the Darksaber. And even though she protested strongly over the idea of wielding the Darksaber, Darksaber as a symbol to reunite the Vizsla clan and, in effect, the remaining Mandalorians, she ends up agreeing primarily because of Hera's earnest request. He, I didn't put this in here, but Kevin had a good point about Hera requesting Sabine to wield the Darksaber, which I remember being kind of shocked at. It didn't feel like something that Hera would ask totally. of Sabine, knowing how much Sabine has been through with her family and the Mandalorians. So I was surprised when Hera was like, no, like, please do this. But Kevin made a good point of saying that, like, this just goes to show how desperate the rebellion is right now, Mm -hmm. that Hera needs all the help they can get. Yeah. And this season really showed how freaking desperate they are. I mean, the way that it ends is on a really solemn note Mm -hmm. for the rebellion itself. I think that if there is one thing to take away from, like, the rebellion piece from the season is that they are really down in their luck and they are not ready for what comes in in a, in a new hope with the Death Star. Like they have a long mm-hmm. ways to go there. Exactly. Especially because we see in the Ghost of Geonosis episodes that Click Clack is pointing them to the Death Star and none of them can see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So going back into Kevin's review for Trials of the Dark Saber, he continues to write, the entire training session is fraught with emotional conflicts, words and behaviors that do harm. No one actively acts like a joke, but they a jerk, but they indirectly hit a number of sore spots. Sabine's complaints about whether Kanan or Hera are concerned with what's best for her in relation to revisiting her parents causes Ezra to remind her that at least she has parents. Kanan's complaints about Sabine's reluctance and imbalance prompts Hera to remind him that she knows all too well what it means to have what it means to leave family that no longer trusts her. And then there's the shocking moment when Sabine, after receiving some old Mandalorian equipment from Rao, uses a grappling hook on Kanan, who retaliates by whipping out his lightsaber and attacking Sabine in response. These are ugly emotions, and Filoni provides no easy resolution to any of it. This is also when I want to remind us that Dave Filoni wrote this episode, which I always forget that Dave wrote this episode, Trials of the Dark Saber, and I think is a very important episode when thinking about Sabine as 
as we're referring to her now, a Padawan in the Ahsoka series. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of it, he goes, Sabine and Kanan do, in the end, do apologize, an apology that's sincere but does little to solve the real rift between them. It's telling that the final spar between them grows heated again, but in a different way. Kanan, who was reluctant to push Sabine, antagonizes here specifically on her past actions with her family. Sabine, who held back her emotions because of fear, unloads with fury, anger, and pain as she fights back and exposes the truth of what she did. Such a great episode, such great dialogue. You and I both cried at the end when Kanan was like, this, whatever you choose, this family will never abandon you or something like that. I was like, I remember watching this episode for the first time and being like, this is one of the best animated episodes I've ever seen. And the music is amazing. The acting is amazing. I think the tonal beats are perfect. And it is, if you aren't tearing up when Sabine is like unloading Mm-hmm. And like finally letting it rip basically on Kanan with the Darksaber, then like I don't even know. I that in the <laughs> the end too. Like if if you're not at least like tearing up or getting chills or something, who it's just such a brilliant episode, and I mm-hmm. think was really directed super well. I think it remains. It's definitely my top five episodes of Rebels, and probably top five episodes of all time with Star Wars animation. Oh wow, I, didn't I know, know that. but. It, it's, I feel like it's, I got to think about it. I feel like this episode I think about a lot in terms of like, wow, that episode really yeah. moved me, you yeah, know? And I agree. if that's my barometer, this one and the world between worlds are like really similar in terms of moving me. No, I, I completely get that. This is an incredibly moving episode. And I think we'll only continue to be more moving as we have more of Sabine in the Ahsoka series. Totally. Okay, so the last one of his reviews that I want to highlight is Twin Sons, which I normally wouldn't do this because Charlotte and I have an episode devoted specifically to Twin Sons all by itself, Mm -hmm. which we don't have a ton of those just for Rebels episodes. So we've actually spent a good deal of time talking about this uh, episode with Maul and Kenobi, but I really loved his review. I thought, I was like, I wish we had read this in our Twin Sons <laughs> episode because I think it, he does such a good job of kind of putting together Ezra's characterization in this season as a whole and kind of how frustrating Ezra has kind of been throughout this episode. He's definitely a lot harsher throughout season three on Ezra than I am, <laughs> but I mm-hmm. love Ezra. So yeah, yeah, I me too. <laughs> I totally agree. I Whenever you've read these sort of reviews or even that one commenter. I'm like, I don't feel this way about Ezra at all. I don't think he's a brat. I don't think any of that. I think yeah. <laughs> I think Ezra is perfect. I love yeah. him. <laughs> so. He definitely does takes a lot of choices into his own hands in season yes. three that usually don't end up very well. And right. everyone is like, what are you doing? And like, why are you doing that, Ezra? But I, exactly. I like characters who do that. So yeah. I no, appreciate that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so. no, same. But I thought that his writing of this episode was really great. And then I just love thinking about this episode now that we have the Obi-Wan Kenobi show and the Siege of Mandalore with Maul because I haven't watched this since since 2020, honestly. And there's so much to think about with Obi-Wan and Maul. And then kind of re-looking at it in Ezra's eyes too is – anyway, so I'm, I'm going to read what he said. He said – 
He writes, the cold opening of Twin Sons was really the key in this episode. Maul's faux Shakespearean speech, all bombast and melodrama, took place in the middle of a desert wasteland with no one around to hear or care. He's kind of, to, sorry to step out of the quote, but earlier in the review, Kevin was kind of talking about, like, why is Maul here? Like, does anyone really care that Maul is here? And this is kind of his point of setting up that, like, no, because Maul is kind of a non-entity in the story right now, like in the greater scheme of what's going on here. Mm -hmm. And so there's no one here to hear him because there shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. uh, so, okay. So now going back into Kevin's review, he writes, so of course, Maul called for the only person in the galaxy who would care, Ezra. This was the core lesson that Ezra had to learn. Twin Sons plays with our expectations. We were expecting the ultimate final battle between Kenobi and Maul. What we get is a very narrow, very specific story where we follow Ezra on yet another self-guided, self-indulgent excursion. He thinks he knows better. He just knows that Maul is out there and they have to stop him because he's after the one person who can help the Maul, right? Of course, we know better. We know Ezra as being his usual stubborn self and a season filled with moments of Ezra screwing up. But we also know that the work of the rebellion is doing hard, tedious, and brutal, and no chosen one will counter or prevent that. Hera tries to get that through this thick skull. It looks like it takes, but of course it doesn't. Once again, Ezra is off on his own, stealing a ship and blasting right off to Tatooine. You can hear the audience rolling its eyes and sighing at this latest trip. But this time, writers Dave Filoni and Henry Gilroy are right there with you. Twin Sons is not a full character study of the teenager, but a small observation of one boy's rash, if well-meaning decision, and the full consequences of it, with no distracting force spirits to guide him. That final point is revealing, I think. The holocrons that spoke to Ezra were just Maul's voice, and even as he meets Obi-Wan, who saved him from dying out in that desert, there's no spiritual apparition here. It's just the calm, collected, wise voice from one former Jedi telling Ezra that his role is elsewhere, that there are those who need you now. Ezra has been relying too much on his abilities and his Force connections, which contributed to his overall cockiness, and that it almost got him and others killed. Now he can focus on the real battle ahead, the upcoming battle for Lethal in his home, and desist that Jedi search for easy, instant winning moves. And I really loved his full review. That is not the full review. I know I read a lot, but that's not his entire review of this episode. But I loved his approach on Ezra and that point about there being no Force spirits to guide him. I don't know if I'd really thought about that in Ezra's character journey for up to twin sons and that there isn't this huge reveal of some other force thing that has kind of been a big marker for Ezra's journey, like with the world between worlds. We know he's been there a couple of times and even with the Bendu and Kanan in this season. So to have it just all come down to this older, wiser guy who Ezra thinks is going to be the one to save the day and end the Sith and help the rebellion and Obi-Wan is just like, this is not where you're supposed to be, and that's okay. You need to go home now. Like, this is this is not – you weren't listening correctly. That was Maul. I don't know. I, I thought it was a really great review and gave me, like, a new appreciation for this episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do like that perspective. I think in our episode, we focused on moral relativism and how mm -hmm. we went a lot of different directions in that episode, but we talked a lot about – how this episode really does approach the subject of from a certain point of view and sort of by the end of it you have to like make a choice <laughs> and I think that's what this review actually is talking about a little bit and from a different perspective about like in the conversation of Ezra coming to Tatooine he's not supposed to be here and he needs to go home because mm -hmm. he's not his place I think that he could 
in his head, he was making an argument that it was his place because yeah. I think that these are like parallel ideas in a lot of ways. Yeah. That by the end of this, Ezra needs to sort of grow up, right? Mm -hmm. And realize that like you have to make a choice. And a lot of this season is about realizing the sacrifices that you have to make, but then also realizing that you have to choose a side. We have we see that with Callus. We actually see that with uh, the Bendu in a lot of ways too. Even if the Bendu doesn't necessarily choose a side, he does act, right? And yeah. I think that because of obviously the Bendu is not going to choose a side because he's the one in the middle, but he does, he becomes a huge storm and that is an act of nature in itself is an action. Just like with all those other stories, Twin Sons is also a similar story with on a much like stripped down level of Ezra just needing he's not really needed here he's not needed in this place where the chosen one is where Luke Skywalker yeah. is where Ben Kenobi and Maul are having their final duel like he's not really welcome there he learned something but not from them he learned something about himself I yeah. guess yeah, no, exactly. I, I agree with what you said. It's just this Twin Sons continues to be a very layered episode that yeah. we continue to come back to. And even thinking about Obi-Wan Kenobi now, I was texting you about this when I was rewatching it, but now having his show, right, we have this stark difference. Like at the beginning of the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, a Jedi comes to find Obi-Wan in the desert and seek his help. And Obi-Wan essentially leaves him for dead and that Jedi does die and is hung up in the middle of town. But now we have another Jedi essentially who comes to Obi-Wan and he cares for him, sends him on his path, you know, gives him rest, <laughs> rescues him. And I think that that was a cool difference to kind of think about with in relation to Obi-Wan's journey. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the last thing I kind of want to point out from this review is some of the comments. Uh, a lot of the comments on this episode were talking about how twin sons really sealed the idea for them that Ezra would die by the end of the series, by the end of Rebels, which I thought was really mm. interesting. <laughs> Someone said, Filoni's comments on the website io9 and Rebels Recon really shed light on Maul's intentions. Uh, you also got to remember Siege of Mandalore has not come out at this time. People don't know that Maul knew about Anakin's fate when watching Twin Sons, which yeah. I think adds to his kind of level of insanity and like revenge plot that he has against Obi-Wan. But the context that you have about Maul's entire driving force into finding out what the other side of the vision is, mm -hmm. now knowing his like lust for knowledge and in the Siege of Mandalore in the Clone Wars, mm -hmm. it just is such a consistent story. It's great. And I it really it continues to add just like all of the stories that we talk about with Mon Mothma, everything, like it just continues to add many layers to how we mm -hmm. see it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so someone said, speaking of death, no way Ezra makes it out of this show alive. This episode sealed it. And there was a lot of back and forth on this comment thread. A lot of them believed Ezra would die. And if it wasn't Ezra, it would be Kanan, which... Well, and then this last one, this last comment I wanted to pull, I thought was really interesting in thinking about our definition of Jedi. And I just kind of want to keep it in our back pocket as we move through Star Wars in general and how we look at Jedi. So someone said, for this, for me, this episode sealed Ezra's fate, but in a different way. Throughout the show, the point has been hammered time and again that all of Ezra's dark side impulses are tied to the cause. This episode especially 
He's always trying to do the thing for the greater good, but it nearly always pulls him dark. Look at the original message of Clone Wars, where the Jedi blurred gray by their involvement with the war. Look at Anakin and Kylo Ren flipping and murdering the Chinese. The Jedi are not meant to be on the front lines of these wars. And thematically, Filoni consciously keeps planting this. Hell, he even let Ahsoka live. Ultimately, I think Ahsoka, Kanan, and Ezra will go off and find their own fight or learn to stay the hell away for the good of everyone at the end of the series. It would be a serious, nuancing message about the role of the Jedi in the galaxy. It would also return power and specialness to Luke, who is the only one who can defeat Vader, not because he is a force wielder, but because he holds the key to Anakin's humanity as his son. I think this is such an interesting comment, especially this idea that the Jedi are not meant to be on the front lines of these wars and that Dave is consciously planting this. I don't agree with that entirely, but I also don't disagree with it entirely either. And I don't know, I kind of have a lot of like floating thoughts about this idea of the Jedi not meant to be on the front lines of these wars. And I don't think they staying, are. Staying I'm, away. I'm, I'm coming out and saying it. Yeah. But the I, Jedi are not soldiers. They're keepers of the peace. They're not, but they there's that quote from like Ahsoka or Anakin that Ahsoka requotes, or even just I think Ashley may say it. Um, Ashley Eckstein, but it's like essentially the quote is like, when you see someone in need, you help them. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that does involve going up against evil entities like the Empire and the First Order. So I like I agree. That's that's what I'm saying. I think this is a very interesting comment. I agree with you, but also the Jedi have special abilities and they should be used for good as well. Mm -hmm. And to your point about the Bendu and Dave, I think kind of dances around this in the Rebels Recon where he's talking about how the Bendu is both the good and the dark. And he's like, when people always talk about the force, they talk about this balance. But the Bendu is someone who is balanced. And is that ultimately what we want? Do we want someone like the Bendu? No, <laughs> not mm-hmm. really. Uh, not when it comes to our Jedi. Uh, See, that's moral relativism. You have to choose yeah. a side. And when you don't... But, and you can't not fight, though. Exactly, exactly. But it's, there is something to be said about the Jedi not being on the front line of the war. Yeah. Right? And I think that this comment saying, I think Ahsoka, Kanan, and Ezra will go off and fight and find their own fight or learn to stay the hell away for the good of everyone. I think Ahsoka kind of does that in a lot of ways. And I think we're seeing that sort of now where I don't actually think that she wants to stay the hell away for the good of everyone. But I think she's figuring out her own journey as we'll see in the show. But yeah. I, I thought that was that really struck out, stuck out to me when you read that mm-hmm. as like, Mm, there's something interesting about exile which like luke skywalker has tried and then That's at the end of it say. think about luke he, he stayed away he, for the good of everyone but then exactly you, you think i'm just gonna step out there with a lightsaber a laser sword and laser take sword. on the take on the whole <laughs> first, first order, order and that's what he does <laughs> yeah and it's sort of it's one of those things where he thinks he's doing good by staying away but ultimately him being there even if it was made by, all the difference yeah, it made all the difference. So he was on the front line of the war. Yeah. Making the difference. I guess I guess like I I definitely agree with you. I just have to go back to that I don't know. Yeah, no, I I, I, I agree with you too. I agree with you. <laughs> you agree with me. I agree with this reviewer, this commentator commenter. Yeah. But I think yeah, it's just it that line too of Ahsoka Kanan and Ezra going off to find their own way. Yeah, it's just it's a lot of food for thought and you know, what we think about Jedi and who they ultimately are and should be at any given point in the galaxy. 
Yeah. And maybe that's the answer too, is that they come in a time of need kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Well, I really loved you reading the quotes from Kevin Johnson's reviews in the comments. I think it's so interesting to contextualize like the reviews and everything that happened during the season and also what people were reacting to. It's so easy to forget because the the internet moves so fast that it's cool to like have this archive and who knows how long we'll have it, right? So yeah, yeah. I think we'll link all the reviews that you mentioned in the show notes so you can explore them for yourself, but... We thank Kevin Johnson for his Star Wars Rebels reviews once again. (laughs) Yeah, for his service. We'll see you for one more round, Kevin. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Are we ready to move into part two? Yes. So welcome to part two where we're discussing the themes of season three. I think we'll just go down a list essentially and talk through some of them. We talked a little bit in the previous section about the struggles of the rebellion and how this season was really about seeing the highs and lows of forming a rebellion. Um, The failure that you see at the end, it's not a failure is such a tough word, but they don't succeed at the end of season three because I know how season four ends and the fact that they do liberate Lethal. It is, we've mentioned this in other, in our other rewatching episodes, but it's very clear to me how paramount Lothal and like the freedom of Lothal is throughout all of these seasons. And I felt like when they were prepping for the attack all in season three, in my memory of not remembering how this season even went, (laughs) I was surprised that we were doing that because I was like, you guys aren't ready. (laughs) We're not ready. This is too (laughs) early. You need, you need time. This doesn't happen until season four. And then I forgot basically that they failed and it doesn't happen. And I don't remember thinking that when I was watching this series for the first time, but it's very clear to me about how important it is for them to be ready and to build up their ranks and to build up these this like cast of people that we know are doing things and like get the right ships and figure out the right base. <laughs> All these things <laughs> are very important for us to get to the point of Lothal, but then also A New Hope um, with the attack on the Death Star. And it's interesting always to consider that Star Wars Rebels was like the first exploration into this time period, like visually in between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope before Rogue One, before Obi-Wan Kenobi, before Solo, before all that, right? And I think uh, there was some antsiness that I've commented on before about seeing the rebellion being formed. But I think this view in Rebels is way more honest than like what people were expecting, I guess. I think that people were expecting like battle after battle, insane political machinations. And we do get that in Andor, but it's like darker. (laughs) So, But I think that this was like a really good first step. And this season to me, a major theme of it, and we've talked about this already, is the fact that they fail and they're not ready. And there's a lot that needs to be done. This is something people talked a lot about with Rebels when it was airing and shortly after it aired that it wasn't or finished airing, I should say, that it wasn't we don't see the rebellion like how we see them in A New Hope. And then to put it back again into this context of, yeah, that's the point. The Death Star is the thing that makes them the rebellion that we see like later on, like post 
uh, blowing up the first Death Star. And so we're leading into that in Rogue One in kind of the first really big way. So, of course, we're not going to be seeing that in Rebels the show, which is what a lot of people kind of expected we would see, which also makes sense, but is not the story that was told. But this season specifically, and I think because it was leading into Rogue One, which is kind of the full formation of the Rebellion, like minutes from that full formation with the stealing of the Death Star plans, it's all leading to that and to see how kind of piecemeal it is and seeing all the struggles they go through. Rewatching it this time, I've never paid more attention than now to all of the challenges that they're facing. I think for me and Charlotte, I would say, but for me, it's always, I'm always thinking about the characters first that I don't always pay attention to the plot movements as it relates to like the rebellion in this case of, oh, we need this ship here. We need that ship here. Oh, Callus was talking about this ship in episode one. And look, now we're at the factory in episode 12 or whatever it is, right? I, that was never really my focus <laughs> when I was watching these episodes for the first time and even for the first couple of years of being a fan of Rebels. But now, I guess now that I'm older and I'm paying more attention to these details, you can really see how nuanced and how complicated it is as they're kind of putting all these pieces together that will lead us into Rogue One, that will then lead us into A New Hope. And now, on the back end, we have Andor that is also kind of playing parallel to Rebels season three and, and all of Rebels in a really big way. And that's super cool to think about how all of these timelines are converging and what that means as far as the development of the actual rebellion as it exists. I think this is a good time to talk a little bit about Secret Cargo and Mon Mothma, uh, just as kind of an example of one of these overlapping timelines. And one thing I was really struck by in this episode is knowing Mon Mothma is so much better now, which mm-hmm. I, I just think is so cool. <laughs> and the fact just that seeing I, the softer side of her too. Like yeah. the side that we see in the these episodes is very official. Mm-hmm. And the sides that we get in Andor are very deep. And yeah. I think understanding both those sides and seeing like sort of the Mon Mothma's facade that is sort of put on for the rebellion is also really interesting. Yeah. And knowing that, you know, in the show Andor, she is kind of operating like undercover in a really big way, still within the Senate and funneling money to Luthen. Sorry, it's got to get back into that headspace of all those characters. <laughs> but she's funneling money to Luthen, right? But now in this episode of Rebels, Secret Cargo, this is when she leaves the Senate altogether and she fully reveals herself as part of the rebellion, which is super interesting to think about now that we have a good chunk of her story or a piece of her story from the show Andor. And one thing that really caught me was, like you said, there's this kind of softness to Mon Mothma that we see in this episode when she's with Hera. And Hera says she can't imagine Mon Mothma running away from her problems. But now we know more about Mon Mothma's personal life with her husband and her daughter, and they're not with her, with the Senate. And that's just really interesting to think about what Mon Mothma could be running away from or leaving or abandoning or being forced to leave, or are they even still there? You know, there's all these things that, of course, Hera doesn't know, but we can now read this into Mon Mothma's character when we see her in this episode. 
And I, I thought that was so great. And I really, it gave me a lot of love for this episode. We also see, you know, speaking of the rebellion, these different squadrons coming into contact with each other. So Gold Squadron uh, is the one who's been carting Mon Mothma around so far. And they're like really mean to Phoenix Squadron to our <laughs> ghost crew. They don't like them. And this is just, you know, more of that proof that this is not a coherent rebellion yet they're all operating in these rebel cells and gold squadron is dissing phoenix squadron and saying that they make everything harder for everyone else in the outer rim and they need to keep it on the dl a little bit more Mm -hmm. and the ghost crew is like yeah but like we get it done (laughs) Mm -hmm. which i think is just great and i love the end of the episode where Hera says uh whatever it takes this rebellion is worth it and that is I don't know. It, it makes me think of Mon Mothma and what Mon Mothma potentially gives up uh, to be in this rebellion and what all of them give up, honestly, for the good of the rebellion. And Hera is our rebellion leader out of the ghost crew. And this, I thought it was just such a great kind of short and sweet line for her headspace and even kind of taking some inspiration from Mon Mothma when they're together. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I really thought it was super cool to see that character in this season of Rebels. We need to talk about the Bendu. It's taken us an hour to talk about Bendu mm-hmm. in his glory, okay? Because <laughs> <laughs> while this season definitely introduced Thrawn as a really great villain, Bendu is also introduced, and like this is the season of Bendu. Caitlin, you love the Bendu. Love him like, so much. Love him. I really like the Bendu. Okay. I really, I think the Bendu is super cool, but I'm not like as obsessed with him as you are. And, and in fact, like he kind of scares me. That's so I kind of want to read. I, I know, <laughs> but I kind of want to talk through some of it. So okay. we've talked through a little bit about like the fact that Bendu is the light and the dark and he's the one in the middle. He says it a thousand times and he's so stubborn. I think that the conversation that plays out at the end in the finale of this season with Bendu and Kanan when Kanan runs to the Bendu to get him to help save their base and to protect them. The Bendu says, I will not fight your petty petty battles. But then eventually Bendu turns into a huge storm and says, I serve the will of the force. And I think it's it's sort of an interesting question to ask, like, why is he doing that? Kanan really pushes him to say that some things are worth fighting for. He says, I tried to live that way once. I tried to let the galaxy go on without me. But when I saw innocence harmed and, and I knew I had the power to do something about it, I couldn't just watch it all burn down around me. Some things are worth fighting for. This really goes into what you were saying mm-hmm. <laughs> earlier <laughs> about on the front lines and war and things like that. But yeah. Bendu goes on and says, I am, you know, he says, I'm beyond your wars. I am unseen, unknowable, like a rock in the river. The concept of Bendu being a rock in the river is funny because I feel like I can, if the river's clear, I can find a rock. I'm just saying. But (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) 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 I don't know. Like when he said that, I was like, that's not the clearest idiom to me because I think it's more like something in the river that is like unseeable. But a rock is steady. Within everything, it's unmoving. I guess that's true, but but anyway, hey, to a good a good point though with this rock and river analogy, rocks change over time with the course of the river. Yeah, you're right. So try that on for size, Bendu. Uh huh. I know. And him becoming a storm is a force of nature. It's an action, like I mentioned before. Um, 
I was struck also in this watch about how the Bendu really reminds me of the Wizard and the Wizard of Oz. The voice modulation that happens on Tom Kane is very distant in a lot of ways. It's so different than what we're used to with the other voice actors. And it really does feel like it's going through something where there's like a facade. And so immediately I thought of the wizard and I think the wizard's grandiose size and things like that. I think in a lot of ways, Star Wars loves to play with the Wizard of Oz concepts. Um, it's not like a one-to-one parallel, obviously, but this has to have been a, in, an inspiration for him, I think. Um, and I think if we want to extend the wizard metaphor a little bit more is Dorothy and, uh, the Tin Man and the Cowardly Lion, um, all go to, and the Scarecrow, oh my God, I forgot the Scarecrow. Um, they, (laughs) they, they they all are so excited to go to the wizard and they really want his help because, they're all down on their luck and their lives suck and they want help from the wizard who has the magic that's going to help them. In a lot of ways, I think Kanan at the end of this episode, at the end of this series, at the end of the season, goes to the Bendu for the help and really convinces him to do something, um, but doesn't exactly get it's, what he wants. Yeah, it's not convincing. <laughs> I would say he antagonizes the Bendu. Yeah. But he does go there with the initial thoughts to convince because, yeah, that's what he wants to do. Yeah, yeah. And the I think if Dorothy and the rest of the crew had antagonized the wizard, maybe he would have done something. But I think it was all a sham, right? Which is why he gets up in his, the Bendu in his a uh, sham. balloon. Yeah, but the Bendu's not a sham. Exactly. I just think that there's like definitely a sort of a small parallel there of begging someone for something and then realizing that that someone isn't going to help you in the way that you think that they're going to help you. Well, it's kind of similar to Ezra. Sorry to interrupt, but Ezra and twin sons of this idea of what Kevin's review was talking about, that Ezra has to come to this realization that there isn't an easy force solution, force-fueled solution here. There's not some spirit apparition that's going to help him with the next step here. And I think... Kanan is, a, is in a different character development spot than Ezra, right? So they're different. But Kanan also goes to someone else with, to the Bendu, with wanting a specific outcome and not getting the one he wanted, but there's change and it gives them the ability to escape. I, I don't think I drew that parallel very well, but it makes sense in my head of both of both Ezra and Kanan going on this path, looking for one thing and coming back with another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think also Bendu, in trying to understand where a character like Bendu fits in in our discussion of the living force and the cosmic force, I think Bendu is the living force. I think he's a manifestation of the living force versus the cosmic force, which is, I think when we think about the cosmic force, we think about things like the Mortis gods and Mm-hmm. beings that are just beyond our comprehension. I feel like I can comprehend the Bendu. <laughs> and <laughs> I think that he, because he is like a rock in the river, he is un, unseen, unknowable. And then he turns into a huge storm and disappears within the like the rocks of the planet, Adalon, right? I think he's the living force. I think that he doesn't influence things in the same way that the cosmic force does in the fact that he if if we want to go on this thought that the bendu is the living force he also uses the spiders to help teach kanan and for kanan to learn about his physical surroundings there's a lot of 
that's part of the natural world. That's part of the natural living force. I, I say all this, but I just really feel like the Bendu is continually like above me and understanding. <laughs> I don't really think I'll ever fully get what Dave and the rest of the writers were doing with introducing Bendu beyond proving a point about how you have to take an action um, and doing it in a way that is mysterious and like fun and different uh, as like another weird force thing. Well, I think that's fair because we can always use more weird force things. Yes. Yeah. I think they talked about Bendu some in Rebels Recon throughout some of his episodes of him also being an important component of uh, Kanan's character development in this season, uh, especially at the front end of the season where we haven't talked a lot about this season opener of season three of Rebels, but I thought it was really good to see how Kanan has kind of isolated himself and how Ezra has pushed himself to kind of a very dark place with all of it. And I live for these Kanan and Ezra moments and the end of episode two of season three after Kanan has met the Bendu and kind of learned a little bit more about himself and he ends up rescuing Ezra out of I forget the exact situation but Ezra is like free falling it's bad it's not great like on a crashing (laughs) building planet ship something like that it's when he loses the phantom I think and he calls out to Kanan even though he knows Kanan isn't there and it's like so humbling and so devastating and then Kanan is there and Kanan is like blind and reaching out for Ezra he's like just jump I've got you and you know that Ezra just like completely trusts Kanan no matter what he thought of his abilities at the time and he just jumps and oh I absolutely live for these Kanan Ezra moments (laughs) me too it's like the highlight of Rebels for me which I don't think it was before but I just love them (laughs) it's so great and I think to your point about bringing up Kanan I think when I think a huge part of the season is Kanan's search for sight um or like beyond sight Right. And like regaining his ability to see again, not through like physically, but what it means for like him in the next stage. How can you use the force to help him? What does that mean when we say learning to see? Obviously, it means like on a metaphorical level, what does that mean for a character like Kanan? I think he comes a long way in this season. I said that I was going to come back to this, and this is what I meant about the fact that I think Kanan starts off the season being so like isolated and dealing with the fact that he just lost his sight and he feels some guilt. And there's a strain between him, him and Ezra based off of what happened in the finale of season two, which surprisingly we haven't really talked about enough about honestly because the finale that happens at the end of season two is the reason why we get like so many different things that need to be dealt with (laughs) throughout this entire season like there's a lot that went down in that season in that finale and you know Kanan is blind there is like a strain with the, the holocron there's like a strain in the relationship there's malls out there like what does that have to do with Ezra's relationship with Kanan because there's like a a struggle there about like my apprentice and if Kanan isn't showing up fully for Ezra how does Ezra feel and it's a huge ripple effect from Twilight of the Apprentice that we get throughout this entire season and Kanan has to regain that sense of confidence I think in his relationship with Ezra and how to be the right teacher for Ezra and then at the end of the season Ezra and Kanan have this like amazing heart-to-heart about how much 
Ezra has learned from Kanan and how it's not just the force that he's learned from Kanan, but like so much more about how to be a good man. I think he says, I mean, that was, I was so much. I wrote it down. (laughs) Kanan said, I don't know if I have anything left to teach you. My Jedi training was limited. And Ezra says, that can't be true. You've taught me about life, how to be a good person. (sighs) (laughs) It's so good. It's so, so, I, I just don't think it can also be understated that this is two like boys yeah having a heartfelt emotional conversation two like and- emotionally stunted men i don't mm-hmm. know young men <laughs> so because they all they both were like ripped from their like homes when they were young and they like found each other it's just like it's a lot okay when you start thinking through it you're like damn <laughs> these two characters i'm gonna like start crying <laughs> <laughs> but i think this season is so about that because eventually like what we're leading to with Kanan's I don't even want to talk about it but like the next season with Kanan (laughs) like we need to have this evolution of him like looking inwardly a lot of this this season is the characters looking inwardly and like thinking about their past and what they've done and how can they can work for a better future and I'm like literally wiping away tears (laughs) Let's not mention the fact that so at the end of of episode two, when Kanan rescues Ezra and they have this like new heart to heart after this kind of strife, right? And Kanan tells Ezra, "I'll always come back." Oh my god! God. And he does later as a wolf. Like I can't. Okay, stop it. It's just it's too much. Okay. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> okay, let's move on because I, I literally can't talk about Canon anymore. I'm like crying. Okay. We were talking about the Bendu. How did we get on this with Canon? Because the Bendu and Canon are like they're the character development. That's why. Yeah. That's why. I I let's go back to the Bendu though, because you got to say your piece on the Bendu and I've not said my piece on the Bendu. Say your piece. <laughs> I really, I say that, but I really don't have much more to add than you. I just wanted to point out some of my favorite lines from the Bendu. <laughs> this season, right. I think he has such great one-liners. I love when Kanan finally takes Ezra to meet him after Ezra has been having visions of Maul. And the Bendu is, of course, not being helpful. And Kanan, and Ezra is like, WTF, what is this thing? And the Bendu is like, what do you want? And Ezra's like, I just want to stop seeing Maul. And the Bendu goes, then don't turn around. And there's Maul. I just thought it was like kind of chilling how he said that. And I just thought that was so funny that Maul is just kind of eavesdropping on this whole conversation between the Bendu and Kanan and Ezra. And Ezra's like, is that real? Is that a vision? I'm not 100% sure, but he's actually there. Mm-hmm. I also think there's a great line in Holocron of Fate, uh, which is a, the big Maul, Kanan, and Ezra episode uh, where there's the convergence of the Holocrons. And after they all leave, Bendu says, perhaps Master and Apprentice will find their balance, dot, dot, dot. Or perhaps they'll be eaten. Such is the way of things. <laughs> like, so out of pocket. What do you mean they'll be eaten? <laughs> like, They'll either find balance or they'll be eaten. Such is the way of things. Just complete insanity. I would have loved to know all the different drafts of writing Bendu's dialogue because it would have been great. 
I just feel like Dave has like a very clear, even if the episode in which he said that wasn't written by Dave, I feel like Dave's yeah fingerprints are all over that. Yeah. I also will just say that I think the point of Bendu is to not understand him, right? He's not, he can't be, he's unknowable. He's mm-hmm. unchanging in the force and everything like that. He's not... It's part of that inaction, I think, and why he can never give a clear answer to Kanan about things. And he even tells Kanan that the reason he, like, woke up is that Kanan's imbalance woke him up and that it was like a violent storm. Oh, okay. He says it was like a violent storm, and then he becomes a violent storm at the end of the season. Good parallel. Hadn't thought of that before. Um, But I just think he's such a fascinating character, and I know in Rebels Recon they talked about bringing the Bendu in to be someone, to be a character that shows that, I, what does Pablo Hidalgo say? He says, uh, the Jedi are just one flavor of the Force. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love I that. I love that, actually, because yeah. I think we're getting that exploration even more these days, and mm-hmm. I like the concept of flavors. Yeah, exactly. And that there are these really ancient things that have that are of the force and i think you're so right too about putting the bendu as the living force versus the comic cosmic force but he's like the essence of the living force yeah he and, is the living force i yeah i, don't, I but feel he's, but he's actually also not. Really strongly about that no i i think that he's not the cosmic force i think he's no, no, very no. much the living force but he's he's like the essence of the living force but he is not solely the living force like the right, he, right, right. He doesn't embody all of it no, totally. Yeah. Anyway, but I I love him. I I feel like I could have saved this for season four, but since we're talking about him now, I want to point it out now. Um, my favorite Bendu moment is actually a non-canon moment that Dave Filoni posted on his Twitter years ago in July of 2017. So in between seasons three and season four, I sent this to you after we finished this season and it's just, God, it's so good. Dave used to post a lot of con, uh, not concept art, drawings of these characters on his Twitter. I don't say, I say a lot, but I don't mean that frequently. But kind of every time there was like a big episode or something, he would post like a little drawing uh, that he did of the characters. Like he did this great one of Callus. <laughs> and I then this is so much. I know. And then he also did some great ones of Hera and Kanan, like in a heart. Um, but then he also did one of Ahsoka and the Bendu. And it was my screensaver for like two years on my lock screen on my phone. It's one of my favorite pieces of concept art he's ever done. But I've read this on the show before. I'll continue to read it on the show. I love this excerpt. He he posted this concept art and then also a little drawing or a little conversation that he wrote between the Bendu and Ahsoka. And this is why I must have the Bendu in the Ahsoka series. I don't know if it'll happen, but I keep hoping. But I think that this uh, conversation that he has, that the Bendu has with Ahsoka, is kind of everything we've been talking about with him as being unchanging, but then also kind of talking about confrontation and like the Jedi's role in things and what how he gives these kinds of non-answers about things. And it really reminds me of his quote about Kanan and Ezra of Master and Apprentice, they'll find balance or they'll be eaten such is the way of things. 
So this is Dave Filoni's little uh, tidbit before he writes out this scene. Dave says, It just occurred to me that I never got to tell you all the story of the time that Bendu met Ahsoka Tano. It was a brief encounter which took place around the end of Episode 2, The Mystery of Chopper Base, from Season 2, just before Ahsoka, Kanan, and Ezra left on their fateful mission to Malachor. Of their conversation, you might find this interesting. The Bendu says, You are set on this confrontation then. Ahsoka says, I have to know the truth. The Bendu says, so be it. But understand this, much will change as a result of this encounter, including you. Ahsoka says, isn't that true of all things as time advances? And the Bendu replies, my dear, when I say change, I mean death. And Ahsoka says, so I will die? And the Bendu says, will you? I didn't know that. Goodbye then, Ahsoka Tano, former Jedi Knight. (sighs) It's just so, so like good. infuriating, but it's so good too. Also, mm-hmm. did I read that last episode when we talked about you might have? <laughs> you honestly might have. I really <laughs> might have. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, just, I well, will remind you all we can... that we're recording this in the time of the strike, and it's actually been a long time since we recorded episode two. So I apologize if I've already read that but it's good enough we can read it again yeah i don't think you should apologize for reading again it's iconic okay it's let's iconic. move on and talk about how the the last sort of big theme that i wanted to talk about and have already talked about a little bit in the season is the fact that we have several characters confronting their past so sabine obviously is the one that comes to mind for me first when it when we talk about confronting our past i think learning the most about sabine's you know, sort of dark past, her understanding of the Mandalorian culture, the fact that she is Mandalorian, exploring that, giving her the dark saber, figuring out what she's going to do with that, having her confront her mom. Her relationship with her mom, I think, is something that we've never seen in Star Wars before and mm-hmm. I think is so good and so heated. I was, I actually completely forgot that the, that Ursa Ren ratted them out after that conversation that they have together on the balcony um, yeah. and like sells them out. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that she would do that to the daughter. And then it was like, oh my God, no, these people are so desperate. They're really just trying to stay alive. And that becomes very clear. Then it becomes really clear that Sabine has to figure out a way to unite her people. And I just, I find that having watched The Mandalorian and understanding, especially this last season of The Mandalorian season three, and really figuring out the weight of the Darksaber, who deserves it, and things like that. And knowing that at the end of this arc, Sabine says it's gonna it should go to Bo Katan. And guess what? That's what happens in <laughs> in The Mandalorian eventually too. And how Sabine is like, I'm gonna find someone who can wield this, you know, and unite our people. And it's a long journey and we are seeing like the beginnings of it and the ends of it and different pieces of it. And I love that. But for Sabine herself, it really takes a lot for her to go from one family to another family to bring them back together to uh, basically put everything on the line for the rebellion. It's the last ditch effort. And you mentioned this before with Hera kind of being like, no, you got to do this and being surprised by that. I was too. But then it really like set in the magnitude of the fact that Sabine has to confront this. And we learn a lot more about what sort of weapons she made. And it gets darker in the next season. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I think even just seeing this this surface, understanding that she has a brother, I think that there's parallels here that I never really thought about with the fact that she has a brother in her 
you know, Clan Wren family. But then also in the in the Ghost Crew family, she has her brother and, and Ezra. And there's like an interesting parallel thing that happens there that I never really thought about before until watching this. And yeah. how like a family unit is formed. Um, and then also you see Maul confront his past too. Uh, sort of less so, but his he dies in this season. And that's a huge deal. And Rebels Recon, <laughs> Andy Gutierrez starts the episode with, Maul's dead. <laughs> and yeah, this is a big deal. So let's get into it. So um, I think that you know, they brought Maul back from the Phantom Menace and we've seen his journey throughout animation and everything and his death here and him on his like endless quest to figure out who the chosen one is and everything. I think that that is in a lot of ways because we know this through the Clone Wars confronting his past and figuring out like what is his own place in it and sort of realizing that his he doesn't have a place in it he at, at all and accepting oh. that i know it's sad <laughs> accepting that when he says he will avenge us and then dying in ben kenobi's arms i mean i think that there's a lot of like there's a lot of sadness and grief and like compassion that you can have for him in that moment that i think is really cool but um there's a big journey that happens there and then moving on to hera and figuring out her whole exploring more with the Sandulas and her family and like the importance of something like the Calicori to her. I think we have, we have a family in the ghost crew, but they all had families to, but outside of the ghost crew too. And how did that, that, sorry, how does that factor into the way that they're a family on the ghost crew? And a lot of that has to do with confronting your past. And that's, I think explored in this season a lot. Yeah, I think you think about all of them kind of throughout the journey of the series as a whole. Of course, there's a huge focus on Ezra with his parents in season one and season two. And then we kind of pick that up again in season four as well, especially at the end there. And then Kanan, of course, he never knew his family, but his family of the Jedi and kind of all of his betrayal that happened, a lot of his feelings about the clones and everything like that kind of gets confronted with his relationship with Rex and even Zeb kind of total loss and annihilation of his people. But then finding that hope again, that they are still in existence and, you know, there is that passageway to Lyrasan and, and all of that. Right. And then Hera and Sabine who actually have their family, still physically out there in the galaxy but it's that interpersonal relationship of figuring out how to bridge the gap between all of them between Hera and her father and then Sabine and her mother and her brother and, and all of the other Mandalorians I will say with Sabine I had forgotten that she leaves the ghost crew uh for yeah. the last fourth of season three I totally forgot that that was a plot point here and was shocked <laughs> i was mad i remember watching that during it was airing when it was airing and i was like this better not be permanent because you kind of didn't yeah. know if it was going to be permanent totally. <laughs> now we know it's it's not but yeah it's like i episodes. yeah exactly <laughs> like it, it's okay <laughs> but it was a long time in terms of episode time and in between seasons too like <laughs> okay you know <laughs> so uh i remember being really disappointed by that yeah, it was just, it was like, wait, we just had all this great character development with her and now now she's gone. And there are a couple of instances where you see all of the ghost crew together, but Sabine isn't there and you just, you feel it, you feel it. And so that's why it was great. I'm so glad 
like I said, I had forgotten that she left and then I had forgotten the exact situation around how she comes back. You know, I, I couldn't remember that Ezra like goes and gets her for zero hour. And honestly, I don't really think a lot about Ezra's role in zero hour. It's really it's me and the Bendu storm. That's what I think about <laughs> with zero hour. But I will say something we haven't talked a lot about that I just kind of want to touch on here is this relationship between Hera and Thrawn. It's not a huge part of season three, but they definitely have these very intense interactions and that moment at the end of zero hour where Thrawn is raining down this attack onto chopper base and it just keeps zeroing in on Thrawn and Hera and we know that they can't really see each other they're too far away like Thrawn is up in space but it's like this energy between them and it's wild it's it's chilling do you think it's because they're two commanders yeah, I do. Basically. And I, and I think that Hera, Hera is a challenge for Thrawn in a way that he doesn't expect because she is, she's smart. She's as smart as he is, but in a completely different way. And totally. she's got, um, she's got, I, oh, all right, let me say this. I don't think Hera is as smart as Thrawn. Thrawn's whole shift is that he is the smartest person in the room at any given time. But they both have the same amount of conviction about what they're doing and their mm-hmm. respective causes. And that makes all the difference, I think. But I think, sorry, I just no, want to say one. I want to defend you say that, <laughs> saying that just by saying something <laughs> I was really um, impressed with with Hera in this season was the fact that it's very clear that she makes like all the right decisions really fast. Yeah. And it is, it like makes or breaks people's lives. And she is able to make that call when no one else will. And that's something that I don't actually know if Thrawn has that in his gene. I think he does. Because even at the end, and I'll push back against this a little bit, because at the end of Zero Hour, uh, Hera is pretty much only concerned about Kanan. Yeah. She's like, where are you? What are you doing? Come home, love. Like, she's really letting her emotions <laughs> slip through. And uh, when the shield is gone, her first thought is, where is Kanan? And mm-hmm. that's going to be a big contrast. Not a contrast, but a parallel, a continuation that we see. Not to bring it up, but at the end of season four. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't mean – I, of course, don't think Hera is dumb. I just think Theron is no, I know. the smartest I know. person in the room. And yeah, that's just how it works. <laughs> but Hera mm-hmm. is great. And I think for the most part, you're right that she always makes the right decision, even if they're rash, especially with um, like with the chopper thing in Double Agent Droid, when she just blows up that Imperial command center through chopper. Incredible. <laughs> like chilling, honestly. It's it's a little scary, but she does it. And she makes that, as I would say, a rash decision. Mm-hmm. Totally. All right, are we ready to move into part three? Yes. Listen, Big Deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always. Welcome to part three, where we're talking about highlights and lowlights. We kind of already touched on this, but how would you rank season three so far out of the three we've watched? It's my least favorite season. And yeah. I found some of the episodes when I was watching it like, all right, I'm ready to get to the good ones. Um, not that they're all they're, – I hate saying this. I love Rebels. Yes, I'm ready to get to my favorites. Yeah. And I think this is a, a 
crazy thing to say, by the way. I think this is like in general, people say that like the the mood is that season three is often ranked the lowest for people. Mm-hmm. I still think one is my favorite. So it would probably be one, two, three right now. I think that will probably change with season four because I just have really strong feelings about season four in a really positive sense. So I'm really excited to get to it, but that's where I would rank it. What about you? Yeah, I think exactly the same. I think there are definitely some highlights in season three, but overall it's, yeah, I would say it's the weakest. I think, you know, we, I talked about in season two that season two is kind of a bit more up and down for Mm -hmm. me overall. And I think that some of the highs in season two are higher for me than in season three, if that makes sense. Like season three is kind of consistently a B if I'm going to bring Kevin Johnson back into this. It's kind of consistently Mm -hmm. a B, whereas season two has some like more A's up in there, even if it has some like, yeah, even if it has some like B minuses in there as well. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) That said, I still like think really fondly of this season and have. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's really got the a, it, it does, <laughs> and the dark saber, twin sons, the holocron yeah. stuff, mall. I mean, everything in it is it's amazing, and I think it is a a last ranked season of Rebels is like one of the top ranked seasons of television mm-hmm. I've ever watched. So yeah, exactly. I I. I just want to make that very clear, but um, I think it's also okay to be a little critical of our favorite things. Yeah, absolutely. So that said, what are our favorite episodes? We already know mine. I already said it. It's Trials of the Darksaber and Twin Sons. Okay, but outside of those? Outside of those? Okay, let me think about it. I love Holocrons of Fate, which is funny. I actually loved The Last Battle, which is where the droid who's from the Clone Wars, they it just this was like insanely meta of this droid who was like left over from the Clone Wars who has to think about the Clone Wars and doesn't know if it ended and he needs to like finish it out. And I think that at this time, the Clone Wars wasn't finished and we didn't get the, that last season from Dave. And there this was like an episode to explore that almost about like what happens when the Clone Wars didn't necessarily end. <laughs> also and I thought this episode was amazing I loved it I loved Kalani and I loved an episode with Rex we haven't mentioned Rex at all but yeah that one really stood out to me and then also I have always been a fan of the Ghost of Geonosis episodes I love Click Clack and I like the push and pull with Saw constantly um and then uh Double Agent Droid. Oh, my God. I have to say my piece about something. Okay. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. Okay, So I made a note in the beginning of the season to be like, I need to bring up the fact that Chopper wears a little disguise all the time. (laughs) And he's just – he has this very consistent black and red (laughs) disguise. (laughs) And I'm just like, where is he getting this? Where is he storing this? How is he changing so fast? Because all of a sudden – No, I think it's it's Sabine painting him. Is it? Because it's the literal same every time. (laughs) I thought it was Sabine painting him. That's what I assumed. I I love that concept, but I actually I don't think that's true. I think he ha- he like whips on a little disguise every time, and he just is like, "Boop, cosplaying. I'm here." <laughs> yeah, cosplaying. And so when we got to Double Agent Droid, I was like, "Of course, they're not gonna just dis- like here we are again with Chopper in a disguise." And I forgot that Chopper like turns evil, and I love that. But evil, <laughs> like, you mean nice. 
Exactly. I was just about to say that. The fact that like his evilness and like the flip side personality is a dotiful droid is brilliant. And then AP5 singing. I mean, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it really is a classic, it's uh, a classic. Star Wars droid moment. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> And then when he gets what rescued, about he's like, no, no. I know. He's like, no. I, I thought that was so funny. I was like crying laughing. I <laughs> completely forgot that he didn't want to be rescued. All I, I feel like the AP5 in space with the butterflies and everything singing is something that is easily screenshotable and therefore yeah. has been spread on the internet a ton that I almost sort of forgot the beginning the of that scene in. and then yeah the end of that scene so I forgot that he was scooped up <laughs> <laughs> he is just like bloop, back yeah, in the so funny and he it's doesn't really want funny. to it's, it's a really funny the solitude. it's amazing but <laughs> it's funny because it's a reminder that he loves the solitude but his friendship with Chopper means so much to both of them it's really cute so um <laughs> Anyway, those are my my other standouts. What about you? I Trials of the Dark Saber is absolutely a standout for me. I also just want to shout out. Um, we didn't really talk or mention that Hondo is in this season, which it's always fun to see Hondo. He pops up a couple of times actually, but uh, mm -hmm. he's in the first episode, Steps into Shadow, and I love how he comes in to this with the rest of the Ghost Crew. There, he goes, Purple Guy, Mando Girl, Ezra Bridger. I just. I think Hondo is so funny sometimes. And I love that mm -hmm. he doesn't bother to know Zeb and Sabine's name. And he calls her Mando Girl. Like, not Mandalorian Girl. <laughs> Mando Girl. Um, I also really love the holocrons of fate. I love that this it's kind of this continuation of Ezra and Kanan kind of coming back together. And that in this intense moment with the holocrons, Kanan is ultimately the one who can see where Ezra is. And he points out that when he says that, Hera is like, what do you mean you can see? Like you got your sight back? And he's like, no, I could see him in the force, which I really love. I also really mm -hmm. love the last battle for all the reasons you said. It's such like a funky kind of episode in a lot of ways. I think on Rebels Recon, they talked about it as like having all these different toys of all these different droids and clones and stormtroopers from different eras kind of all interacting on the screen together, which is is really cool. And it's such like a weird kind of meta episode, too, about the Clone Wars it's fun. Mm -hmm. And also like you, I really like Ghosts of Geonosis. I love at the end of this, after kind of everything that Ezra has been through with Saw Gerrera and Click Clack and all of that, that the episode ends with Kanan telling Ezra that he's going to discover that not all their allies share their values or even fighting the Empire for the same reasons they are. And Hera says that in the end, Saw proved he wasn't the Empire. And for now, that would have to do, which was such kind of a great... I thought way to think about the rebellion and kind of even thinking about like Andor and the ways that Luthen and Mon Mothma and even Bail Organa all want to run the rebellion, but that it's, they're all different. And the extent, like, I mean, God, think of Luthen's monologue at the end of whatever episode in Andor about all the sacrifices he gives up and what other people 
are and are not willing to do and to what extreme they're willing to go to. I thought this mm-hmm. was kind of a great kind of hint at what's to come, especially with Saw Gerrera. He's a character that keeps coming back up, right? Like, we'll, we see him in the Bad Batch as well, and we get more uh, contextualization for him as well and kind of what his group is doing. We'll also see him again in season four, where things have continued to change a lot uh, between him and the Rebellion. So I really liked that kind of line at the end because... Ezra, of course, kind of latches on to Saw as this ally and quickly comes to learn that, you know, that's Saw makes a lot of different choices than even Ezra would make. And lastly, I just want to shout out for one of my last favorite episodes is Through Imperial Eyes, which is Callus and Ezra teaming up when Thrawn when we kind of get confirmation that Thrawn knows that Callus is Fulcrum. I just think it's a fun episode. I love the Callus and Ezra team up. AP5 and Chopper are there as well. That's great. Thrawn training, we get to see a lot of his physicality, which was a little bit of like italicized O, if you know what I mean. Oh, we need to mention the fact that he's like training with the droids that oh, yeah. we see in the Mandalorian, like the super mech droids yeah. or whatever. I don't remember their title, but... I don't remember making that connection ever before. And Mm -hmm. they look like they're the same or the same prototype. And that blew my mind. Yeah. Blew my mind. (laughs) I hadn't noticed that until you texted me about it. And yeah, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. But I I really like this episode. Callus almost pulls one over on Thrawn. And it's just chilling that we know that Thrawn is in on the game. And yeah, and I, I liked the, Callus uh, and Ezra together. It was a good combo. Through Imperial Eyes is also noted the first time we see a toilet in Star Wars. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so now you know. So now you know. Because I know in Double Agent Droid, which is that, that's afterwards. Wedge goes to the refresher. Maybe that's the first time. Well, that's it was after, this season. That's after Imperial Eyes. Yeah, I swear this through Imperial Eyes. I, I need to like triple check. I think check, you're but right I've... though because on Rebels Recon they talk about if they can or cannot put Callus into pajamas because he's in yeah. his room. Yeah. And they ultimately don't. And I think Dave makes a comment in Rebels Recon like we just couldn't like do the pajamas and he's like so he wakes up in his armor and I guess you can just say he's like really committed to the comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I think sense. you're right though because it opens up in that first yeah. point of view from Callus and he's probably in the refresher. Yes. Um I'm like pretty sure. I could be now I'm like doubting everything, but I'm pretty sure. It's either through Imperial Eyes or Double Agent Droid. It's one of those. Mm. Mm-hmm. which are like three episodes apart from each other. So mm-hmm. basically, but yeah, I really liked that episode and I had a good time with that one. It reminded me a lot of, um, what is the name of it? Stealth Strike, I think is the name of the episode from season two with Ezra, Kanan and Rex mm-hmm. uh, all trying to get out of the Imperial base and Callus is there as well. It had kind of similar vibes for me, honestly. So I liked that episode a lot. Okay. Well, I think that's going to wrap up our discussion about Star Wars Rebels season three. So much fun. I can't wait to start season four, but I'm also sad about it because I've been really, I've been really enjoying rewatching Rebels and like getting a whole new fresh perspective on the series, Mm -hmm. but I'm excited to share season four with you guys too. So it'll be great. Yeah, me too. And the good thing is we can always watch it again. (laughs) 
so true. It's yeah. always going to be there. Yeah, I'm very excited to segue into season four. It's I'm I'm excited to see what new thoughts I may have on season four because I Same. haven't watched it start to finish in a while. So yeah, I know we both think that season four will be our favorite season, but what if it's like not? What if we're like, yeah, World Between Worlds is the best, but season I'm one like very is excited best. to test this hypothesis because yeah. There's a couple things that make season four like really special. We covered season four on our podcast every mm-hmm. episode. And that was in like the baby days of Sky Talkers. So that was like special. And yeah. then we were very involved. And then the finale and just everything coinciding with The Last Jedi, which we loved. So we were in like this euphoric sense of Star Wars at this point. Yeah. So we were like floating in space like AP5 with the butterflies and like oof. so true. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I. I still feel like those feelings will be there, but I'm excited to see like a refreshed perspective. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Especially with the front half of season four, because that's definitely my weak spot when it comes to season four. Yes. So we are looking forward to the next one. Hopefully these episodes will be out to you soon. And we hope you all are enjoying our rewatch and whatever new Star Wars is also out at this time when this episode comes out. That is going to wrap up this episode. If you want to talk about your favorite episodes of season three of Rebels or anything else Star Wars related, you can find us on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles. Charlotte's is at Clarity and mine is at Caitlin Flesher. You can also find us on our website, skytalkers.com, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, threads, all good places to find us. Just search Skytalkers Podcast will come up. Also, if you have a second and would like to leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, we would really appreciate it. And make sure to share on your social media platform of choice you watching in real time. And if you tag us, we will also reshare it on that social media platform. Works kind of like word of mouth and gets the word out that you are enjoying listening to Sky Talkers. And lastly, if you are looking for other ways to support us and ways to get involved with our wonderful Discord, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our different reward tiers there. Yes, I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, BB Nate, Madison, Trevor, Aubrey, Kelly, that's it, Tom, Emma, Jose, Justin, Kate, Christina, Mason, and Sophia, Nick, Allison, Brad, James, Catherine, Chuck, Colin, Stefan, Anna, Olivia, Jedediah, Kelly, and Colton. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Thank you.